Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. On this episode of the Diary of an Age Grouper, we are joined by Nadine Hunt. Nadine is a triathlete based in far north Queensland here in Australia and has recently returned from the Ironman World Championships in Kona. She was the first female Indigenous Australian to qualify and compete in Kona as a proud member and great ambassador for TriMob. We discuss her approach to training and racing, including how she juggles work, parenting and coaching alongside triathlon. She shares some great tips along the way. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper. Nadine, thanks for joining us. How was Kona? Yeah, um, Kona was pretty, pretty sensational. You know, they you talk about life experiences that that change you and and kind of add on to your next journey, and and that certainly was one of them. That's great to hear. So obviously, you were the first Indigenous female to qualify for and race at Kona. Can you tell us where you qualified and was the goal to? qualify for Kona or was it just about getting through an Ironman? Yeah, so I qualified in June in Cairns. So I'm, I'm from Cairns, far north Queensland girl. And so that was my second Ironman that I'd done locally um, and, and ever. And the year before um, with Cairns, I was training to do the 70.3, um, just started triathlon kind of about six to 12 months prior and and then had like a bike crash kind of a week out from the race. Um, and I don't know if it kind of lost some brain cells or knocked some sense into me, um, but just kind of having discussions with some teammates that week and kind of a little bit of banter. And I'd done a bit of training with the guys in the group that were training for the Ironman and, and then just kind of sat there jokingly and said, oh, maybe I should do the Ironman. Um, and so... <laughs> I think that conversation, yeah, turned into reality and I had a chat with my coach and just said, you know, realistically off the, the training that I've done leading into the 70, like 70.3, like, do you think like I can finish? Cause I just want to finish. Um, and he was like, yeah, like a hundred percent think that if you get to the start line, you'll get to the finish. And so that was my first Ironman back in 2022 in Cairns um finished and had a wonderful experience I guess when you come in with no pressure and just doing something crazy like that um you can kind of take the foot off the pedal and I guess my focus was just staying in aerobic for the whole race so that I could finish um and that kind of allowed me to really embrace the scenery the atmosphere and and have a really positive experience and I think finishing last year like I knew straight away I'm like I I love this event I love the length of it I love like it's just so much endurance and just being out there um so literally two months later registered for Cairns this year um because I really wanted to kind of experience the Ironman one with the proper preparation but also with a a bit more drive and focus and kind of coming in with that race mentality um and I guess Kona was never on the horizon back then. Like I was living with friends at the time and like I just scribbled some little goals in a notebook and kind of joked with my best friend at the time. And I was like, oh, you know, like if I can kind of get this much time off, like that will kind of get me, you know, in that top six to eight, which was the right amount of allocations because I think Cairns had a few extras. Um, and like I could get, you know, a qualifying spot for Kona and kind of just laughed about it um, and kind of didn't look at that notebook again until the beginning of this year. And, you know, my boyfriend just said, like, everyone starts asking questions about, you know, what time you want to do for the Ironman? What are your goals? And I, I just never really had an answer and kind of fluffed around. And he's like, like, if you have a goal, like you, you just need to say it and, you know, make it reality. And 
So I think that notepad came back out and kind of broke my race up in, you know, into a swim, bike, run and what I realistically thought I could achieve. Um, And I knew that time that I had in mind should be enough to kind of get me in that top six to eight. Um, And, you know, luckily it kind of all, all came together. And I think Kona was just the icing on the cake. It kind of wasn't at the top of the list, um, but yeah, being there and being able to to have an opportunity like that. Um, I don't think anyone <laughs> in my corner, any of my support people, family and friends and, you know, my local community and also the TriMob community were, were letting me walk away from that presentation without accepting it. Now that's great. So can you share with us what the goals were for Swim, Bike, Run overall time and then what what eventuated and then what your finishing position was? Yeah, yeah. So so swimming's not my forte, that's for sure. Um, kind of when I started just over two years ago, I could barely get through 100 metres. And so I think I did like an hour 20 or or more the year before, kind of not swimming more than 3K. And I kind of invested a bit more time in swimming with one of my good friends, Jackie, who's quite an established swimmer up here. And there's a good group of us working on that. And so she kind of built confidence in me and was like, I think you can get under 110. So I was like, okay, I'll write 110. <laughs> um, and then the bike was to get under three hours because I think that's probably my area that I could improve most on because I'm quite a small frame and not the strongest cyclist um, power-wise. But it's definitely one that's progressing quite quickly. Um, and I guess being a runner like doing a, a few marathons under my belt, I kind of, I knew that I could get under a sub four um, for the run. And so kind of checking it all together, it was kind of like a sub 11 goal, um, which kind of looks like it was in that category. And I come away with a 10.44 and, and a sixth in my 35 to 39 age group. So um, I was very fortunate. Everything went to plan and came together nicely. And luckily enough, I, I had a really positive experience again, um, which is almost impossible when you're from Cairns doing a Cairns Ironman. Um, it kind of just makes it a lot more special um, and easier to push through when things get really tough. Mission accomplished. So let's fast track to Kona itself. How did the race over on the Big Island go? Can you talk us through a little bit about swim, bike and run? And did you have similar goals, time-based goals, or was it, was it all about the experience now that you had made it over there? Yeah, like I roughly had times in my head, but also had to take a lot of things in account. Like I know a lot of people that have done Kona and they've kind of said like you've just almost got to leave times behind because anything can happen and and kind of just looking and seeing that times is a little bit slower than what you'd usually get. And so I kind of didn't want to make it a time focus, but at the same time, like you, you kind of do need to have a time focus because you know what you're capable of. And the swim was just out the window because there was no wetsuit. And I was like, <laughs> um, that's going to be a sucker for me. But um, but like the swim, I had a really, really pleasant experience. Um, I think the only thing that spiked my anxiety a little bit was um been doing a lot of filming with um Ironman group for like the post Kona doco and so like the lead in it, it was just quite full on and even uh, two weeks prior to leaving um one of the camera guys came up to Cairns and just followed me for three days and the night before the race um Zane who's the camera guy just gave me a pink hat and was like you have to put this on and I was like but my wave's blue and he's like you have to wear it so we can all find you in the water and I think that just like kind of just put my anxiety through the roof going oh my god like here I was thinking I could just get out and you know find my rhythm and and just enjoy the swim um so that kind of added a bit more pressure on myself I guess but um you know I had a a good enough swim um obviously a lot slower than cans but I came out of the water feeling really fresh and and feeling really good for the bike which is usually all I want is to get out of the water and not be absolutely exerted so um yeah the swim was good and I was happy with it and and then the bike was probably the leg that I was most concerned about I think (laughs) a lot of people really like build a lot of fear and hype into the Kona bike course and so leading in I was just like 
really scared of the wind and like the descending and like the hills not so much and the heat not so much like kind of living and training in Cairns um so I, I didn't know what to expect and so you know I was hoping to get under three hours just like Cairns because I, I felt like the rolling hills or the elevation wasn't going to be too much of a a slowdown but um yeah the bike was was great like I remember coming into the you know Harvey turnaround point thinking did I do, like did I just finish the climbs like <laughs> um so I think it was a lot better than expected and and maybe that built-in expectation of it being absolutely horrible um kind of worked in my favor because it it was a real it was a tough course like the wind wasn't as bad for us this year but it kind of amplified the heat and the reflection of the heat coming off the roads and the lava rocks and like I'm from Cairns and and that was kind of heat that I'd never experienced before it was it was next level but at the same time it like it's a remarkable bike course um and it was all going like great guns until kind of like the last 10k where my di2 battery died um so i kind of had to make the decision whether to go <laughs> really over gear or completely the opposite um but you know at the end of the day i think getting to the start line of kona i knew regardless of the uncontrollables i was going to have a good day um because it it's just an opportunity that might not come around a second time and so I kind of got off the bike um, with what, the... What did you choose, by the way? Oh. Did you go over gear or under gear? <laughs> I went over gear because <laughs> yeah. I was like, my legs feel okay. And I think that last bit is a gradual downhill. So I was like, mm. if I if I spin, I kind of went to the lower gear kind of closer just to kind of flush the legs a little bit. Um, but it just meant I had to kind of pull back intensity a little bit, um, but still managed a couple minute PB on the bike, which I was really stoked with because I, I was, I don't know why I was expecting a really terrible ride. I think because I was just so worried about all the elements um, that I kind of got off the bike and felt pretty good and, and was really happy. Like I was, I was really stoked with how the bike went. Um, and then I always say like in the Ironman, all I need to do is get off the bike and I'm, and I'm home because I can like, I can back myself to get through a marathon regardless of what condition I'm in, um, most of the time. Um, although I've only done three, but yeah, the run, I was really aiming, like hoping to get a 3.30. Um, but unfortunately things didn't go quite to plan and that's still something I need to figure out nutrition wise what I possibly took too much of on the bike um, because the first time in any sort of race that I've done, whether it be running or triathlon, I kind of had to visit the Portaloo um, four or five times. So um, that, that was a new experience for me, um, which, you know, kind of didn't slow me down too much, but it, it, it just killed momentum. I think when you get off the bike, well, I just felt good. Like I was kind of just under five minute K pace and, and it felt comfortable. It felt good. And then kind of within five Ks, I was like, Ugh, I need to go to the toilet. Um, and there's nothing worse kind of going to Portaloo and just watching your watch kind of the average pace just decline. <laughs> um, so I think getting out of that, like the stopping and start, like I don't walk water stations. I run through them because I'm just, I know if I have to walk or stop, like I'll, I'll just progressively slow down. Um, and so I felt like those stops did that for me, which is a bit annoying. Um, but, you know, by the five, fifth stop, I, w- I was super fast at kind of getting the tri-suit down, ready, in and out. <laughs> um, so definitely prepared if that disaster is ever, ever to happen again. Um, but nonetheless, like, you know, the energy lab kind of getting around that 30K, like it, it was an experience and, and it was something I was looking forward to and something I was really prepared for. Like all my friends in, in Cairns would know, like my teammates at Ignite, that like they'd see me doing midday runs out, out to the airport in Cairns just so that I knew what that really bad heat felt like um, and what it's like to be on an isolated road and and just really embracing 
what that felt like. And so the marathon in Kona was was something I was really looking forward to. Um, and, you know, it exceeded expectations. It, it was hot. <laughs> it was hard. Um, but I, I loved it. Like I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's what I was expecting and, you know, being able to be on course and see, you know, the likes of Lucy Charles Barkley and Annie Haig and, you know, Chelsea Sodari run past you. Like these are women that, I, you know, you watch on TV or YouTube and, and just like you just get blown away. And I think that was probably the biggest experience for me. You know, you, I've done two Ironmans in Cairns and every time I'm on the course there's never men, uh, never women around me. Like, you know, we usually like, what, one-eighth of the field. Um, and so to be out there with so many powerful athletic women, like on the bike, you don't like being past, but I was like grinning when just seeing these women and how fast they were. Um, so that that was a really, like that was an eye-opening experience because I'd never experienced that in triathlon because in the swim, bike and run, I'm just surrounded by men and I think a lot of women that do these races are, are the same. Like we're we're kind of a, a really small field <laughs> amongst it all. So to be on that stage with just women, like kick and bite, was was really, I think that was certainly the highlight for me um, and a big eye-opener. I think once I finished I knew like where I need to improve and what can I improve on and like there's, you know, I'm 35, but like, I feel like I'm just getting started, um, you know, as an age grouper, but also as a sport that I love and has become part of my lifestyle. Yeah, cool. Thanks for sharing. I think it's quite interesting. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the split world championships, but your take is very interesting that, you know, the full field, hundred percent of the field was women and, you know, that could be, you know, a real, a real positive thing for the sport in general. So that's a very interesting take. So before we move on, what, so what were the splits swim bike run overall in the end? Just to um, wrap up this, this oh section. Man, see, I should know this. I don't even know. I think it was, it was two like weeks a, ago. I, I know this is, I haven't had like a full chance to like debrief and recap. It's been really bad. I've been like a brain fog, but pretty sure the swim was a 113. The bike was a 548 or 549. And the run, oh, what was the run? 3.44 maybe? Um, overall, I think it was like a 10.52, 10.53. That's like um, pretty close to your Cairns time yeah, in the end. Yeah, it was about so, a 10-minute buffer between the yeah. two, yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. Well done. Thank so you. So you were a member of the TriMob here in Australia. Can you tell us a little bit about what TriMob is all about and what role TriMob has played in your journey and your relationship with the sport? Yeah, definitely. Um, so TriMob is a First Nations organisation, but also a triathlon club. Um, so anybody in the country can can join TriMob. Um, but it was created to to really empower people through strength based approaches. Um, we all kind of know triathlon or endurance sport, in particular, as a sport that really has the power to change lives. Um, but in Australia, unfortunately, it's one of the few sports that First Nations um, participate in or are involved in. Um, and, you know, there's a, a, a lot of factors and barriers that, that kind of contribute to that. But I guess we, we, we want to change that. Like we want to increase participation of First Nations people in Australia in the sport, but also like showcase like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander strengths and excellence because um, kind of prior so this year there was I think there's 11 First Nations Australians that have completed an Ironman triathlon like that that's not a lot um, when you think about it and so if we can use the sport to to really kind of drive positive changes in community but also in wider communities in the triathlon community um, yeah that that's certainly something we want to do. Okay and you were the first female Indigenous Australian to qualify and compete at the Ironman World Championships. So congratulations firstly, but can you talk to us about the significance and importance of that for you personally? Yeah, I think prior to it, it's not really something, um, yeah, I don't know, like it, it was a tough one to take on, like, cause it, I feel like it, it's an absolute honor. Like I always say that to people, it's an absolute honor 
to to be able to be the first of anything um but with that you know also comes expectation and like I feel like there was small periods where I felt like like I needed to make sure I finished I needed to make sure I did the best that I could possibly do because you know if if I'm going to be marked in the history books for all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people like I, I really needed to rise and and give the best that I could do um because honestly being a First Nations woman here in Australia is my biggest strength like you know having been growing up around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture and my family like it's a big part of who I am and my identity and and everything that I do in my life you know kind of contributes to that work you know whether it's a volunteer run coach in my community or just to contributing through events and things like that I think that that's all I ever want is, is to showcase who we are and our strength because there is a lot of negativity um, kind of portrayed on us. Um, so, yeah, that, that was just the biggest thing. Like if I was going to do this, I need to do this the best that I could because I, I want other people back home, especially women and mums, like to see me and go like that's something I can do because she's she's like me. Like she comes from where I come from and, and if that's something she can go and do, well, then I want to give it a go too. And so I really hope like, you know, those things kind of have come of it because it, it, it means a lot to me and, and I'm completely humbled um, and honoured and, you know, every everything I did over there was, was ensuring that I showcased our strengths, um, yeah, especially for women and mums. Yeah, so it sounds like it was a, a pressure but also a privilege. So thanks for sharing all of that and, and what it means to you and to your people. So let's talk now about training. Um, you <laughs> So firstly, a bit of context. You yeah. Can you tell us about work and, and family and how you're juggling commitments outside of training and racing? Yeah, so I work full-time for Australian National Uni. So I'm a community researcher up here in Cairns. Um, currently studying part-time, um, doing a Bachelor of Business at JCU. Um, I'm a mum to an almost five-year-old. He turns five tomorrow, which is exciting. <laughs> oh, happy um, birthday. <laughs> um, but also do some volunteer coaching for a local running and walking group, Cairns Deadly Runners, which is like an Indigenous walking and running group to promote running as a, a healthy option in our community, but also do paid run coaching for Ignite Endurance, which is also the group um, that I train with and am coached by um, Nick Carling, who kind of owns that group there. Um, so it's it's busy, um, but, like, I have a, an amazing supportive partner and I have really great friends and family that contribute to making this all happen, um, especially, like, the training group I'm with. You know, my son, even now when I'm having a couple of weeks off, on a Tuesday night thinks we're getting up at five o'clock on a Wednesday to go sit by the pool well he sits by the pool while I swim and go to squad um and so the routine's kind of embedded in his head when it comes to days of the week and so I think it's been a bit of a, a shock to him when I'm like no no training this week <laughs> um so it, it was quite a lot so I guess to run through the week um so yeah, I have you can, my, yeah, we can go straight into that, yeah, like we what, what a weekly schedule looks like. Let's go. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I, I co-parent with my ex. So I get my son week on, week off. And so what the way I kind of discuss it with my coach, Nick, is like we have Alex weeks and non-Alex weeks when we're kind of structuring um, my program. Yep. And so, yeah, usually I think leading into Kona was probably the most amount of training I've ever done. Um, compared to, you know, leading into Cairns, it was probably 10, 12-hour training weeks. Um, some of Kona's got up to 18, 20, um, which kind of was difficult. But, yeah, so Alex weeks would be anywhere between kind of five to six trainer rides. So I don't get outside when I have my son. It's all trainer rides, mm -hmm. either usually before he wakes up or as he's waking up. Um, three swims a week, usually kind of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, runs. I think I was running probably 45 to 60 Ks a week. Um, 
and that was kind of the week. So it was usually doubles or triples. Um, yeah, none of my days kind of were single sessions and they were kind of really early, really late or kind of in the middle of the day um, during lunch or kind of squeezing thing, things in after work before I'd pick my son up. Um, but, yeah, Alex weeks were always much higher volume because I had more flexibility. Um, but then that when the weeks I did have my son, it was more um, how can I bring him along or fit it in where it doesn't interrupt his life because I think that's been the biggest thing for me is it's wonderful that I want to do these things and have these goals, but I also need to ensure it's not taking anything away from him. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate. I have a, a really great triathlon group that are like family who, you know, if I want to do a local race on the weekend, they're like, bring him along and they'll watch him for the hour or so. Um, or he comes, you know, to the track or he comes to swim squad and, you know, it's all it's all completely normal and he's completely surrounded by, like, the most positive and healthy role models um, that I could ask for. So it, it's definitely a win-win and it's never, training's never felt like a chore. Um, it's always really important for me that, the process becomes a lifestyle because a minute it's a chore or it becomes a burden on anyone in my life, I would kind of will probably lose the satisfaction I get out of it. And so although it was a big build with a lot of training, um, I definitely credit, you know, my village, you know, my, my partner, my friends, my coach, um, my squad, my family, um that that make it all the pieces of the puzzle come together <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. how so how long was the dedicated kona block was it 10 weeks 12 weeks 14 no, weeks 16 weeks yeah it was only eight weeks eight weeks yeah. um yeah it was quite quite short like it wasn't wasn't too big i think because after cans there was only 13 weeks till kona mm -hmm. or 12 and so kind of allowed myself to have two weeks off because I'd kind of been going for nine months and didn't really want to roll straight into another block because it, it was just a long block already. Um, it was my first Ironman block leading into Cairns that I'd ever done. Um, so that took a bit to get used to. And then that kind of dramatic increase from Cairns to Kona. Um, but like in saying that, it, it, you know, it was an extra four to six hours a week, but it, it, the transition happened seamlessly. Like I was, I was really fortunate that the body adapted. I didn't get any injuries. Um, probably lost a lot of sleep, but luckily it didn't <laughs> didn't affect me too much. But still, something I need to work on. Um, yeah. So it wasn't. It didn't feel too long, um, and it was very different to Cairns. So yeah, the eight weeks kind of flew by. Yeah, so when you've got Alex, got your son, and that's your yep. lighter week, and you're a bit more well, I won't say restricted because that sounds negative, but you've got other considerations. Can you yep. take us through like Monday through to Sunday and what that looks like? Yeah, and then so off the like, back of that, we'll just see what the differences are when you don't have your son. Yeah, for sure. So the Monday, I usually pick him up on the Monday afternoon from kindy, and so Monday morning, I would usually get a swim and a bike in, um, so that the afternoon is free. And then a Tuesday would always be a trainer ride in the morning and then a run. So I'd either do a, I'd get a run done before I'd pick him up from kindy. Um, Wednesdays was always a longer trainer ride. So usually like an overgear or something for 90 minutes. Um, so that was Wednesdays and then I'd have a, a morning swim. So squat, squad that he'd come to. Um, yep. Thursday, Thursday morning would be a trainer ride. Thursday evenings at the track and he usually goes to like my nana's house and my cousins for the evening. Um, and then Friday is usually, Fridays are usually my nice and easy days. I think it used to just be a swim, which I'd try and get done straight after I'd drop him off or just before I'd pick him up um, after work. Saturday's usually long ride. They kind, of, they kind of capped it two and a half hours on the trainer. Um, so get up early and get that done. Um, and then Sundays was long run um, and he'd come with me in the pram. And so we kind of, I think we got ourselves up to 25 Ks with the pram and he's about 20 odd kilos. Um, and that's probably 
as far as we'd go and on until my coach would just we're just gonna have to cap runs because I, I don't think I want to do any further with a pram yeah it's impressive that's pretty impressive with the pram I've done a little bit with the pram and uh oh, it's hard work. I don't yeah I don't know I think my longest is like eight to ten k so you're doing well there so then when you roll into a non-Alex week what yeah. are what are the major changes just the long stuff on the weekend or is there there other changes midweek too Pretty much. So the the structure would be the same pretty much, but I'd get outside for the rides and then the Saturday would be, you know, kind of a four to five hour ride with a long, like the ride, a run off the bike. Yeah. Um, and then the Sunday would be a longer, longer run. So there, that was probably the biggest changes so that like the Saturday and the Sunday were kind of filled up a bit more. Um, but the rest of the week, yeah, it was still very similar maybe like a run or a bike might be a little bit longer but it kind of just allowed me to then get outside especially on the bike which I really I'm not a big indoor rider I just am actually quite impressed that I managed to get through all that block because I just never really enjoyed it Um, and because we have such good weather up here most of the time it's so much nicer to get outside yeah a bit um, do you do any strength training as part of your weekly structure? I should, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so hang on. It, does that mean it's scheduled and you don't do it? Uh, or no, coach doesn't like, even bother scheduling, scheduling no, it anymore? Like he's, I, yeah, my coach is really good. I think before blocks we really have those conversations about like prioritising, like if I can only get this much in, what are the priorities for it? And at the start of each block I'm always like, yeah, I need to do strength let's put it in and I kind of do it for like two weeks and then it's the first session that fades. Yeah. Um, and even after Kona, I'm like, yeah, like next block I need to get into strength. <laughs> um, I'll get there eventually. But, it, yeah, I think when you're kind of trying to fit things in, it it's not on the top of the list for, the, for me, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, I'm hopeful maybe one Work day. in progress. Yeah. Even yeah. more room for improvement in the future. <laughs> I think so. And what about heat preparation? Obviously, you're up there in sunny cans. It's quite warm. It's quite um, humid most yeah. of the year. Do you do any dedicated um, heat work or is it just sort of getting out for those midday runs that you've already mentioned? Yeah. So prior to Kona, um, I think leading into cans, I was always up super early. Like I'd kind of get out before the sun to avoid the heat. Um, but then as soon as I saw how hot it was going to be in Kona, it's like my mentality shifted and I was like, like, I need to embrace the heat. Um, and so I'd never done any kind of heat specific stuff until that build for Kona. And so then I just started to love hot runs. Like on Sundays, I'd kind of enjoy a sleep in for once and then go for a run at 10, 11 o'clock because I was like, well, it's, it's going to benefit me and I get more sleep. Um, and then some midweek runs, I'd kind of do my aerobic run and then jump in a sauna um, for 20 minutes after. And that's probably as far as the heat training went for me. It was just utilizing the environment I had up here um, mm-hmm. and, and also jumping in the sauna either before or after a run where I, where I could. And... But it's definitely something I think I want to keep like it. I didn't didn't ever feel flat or worse or or anything compared to the super early runs and and I just thought like that like this is something I want to maintain especially you know coming into next year um, because it just gives you more flexibility and on the weekends you can get more sleep in and and I, I don't know like I feel like it was something that really benefited me and strengthened me in Kona was being able to train in the heat at those times. And then you mentioned your Saturday bricks on the non-Alex week. So you do a yeah. four to five hour ride into a runoff. Were they, was that the same every week or is there a, a one particular week where you might've done like a race simulation or anything, you know, really, really specific in preparation for, for the race? Yeah. Just, so, you know, accumulating, you know, what would have been four non-Alex weeks in that eight week block and yeah. they're all fairly similar. Uh, they kind of alternated. So some would be like an aerobic off the bike and say the next fortnight would be like chucking a 20-minute tempo in there or kind of close to tempo race pace. Um, they'd kind of just do 20-minute aerobic and then finish with 15-minute tempo before a cool down off the bike. So that was probably the only, 
you know, kind of alternating between those bricks. Yeah. Okay. And any intervals on, on the bike in those long rides? Yeah. Kind of only in the last three to four weeks leading into Kona. Um, so like all my trainer stuff was pretty much either like overgear intervals or hard intervals. Um, and then on the bike, it was kind of the last, well, what would you say? Maybe last hour um, of working, but it was good because we were kind of doing some group rides out at Goldsboro, which is south of Cairns. And there's like really good, very similar hills to Kona. And so it kind of went out there with um, Sarah Thomas, who's one of the local pros up here. And a group of us would go out and just kind of go out and back on this like 10K stretch of of like undulating climbs and, and just kind of all just work at our own pace. And so I kind of felt like that was almost a session within the long ride, which I found really beneficial because it, it just had the long climbs and also that the declines with sometimes wind, but more importantly, that direct sunlight. So I really felt like those long rides um, helped me prepare for Kona as well. And do you have a favourite session or favourite sort of theme of session? So you obviously do a bit mix with training with Alex, training solo, mm-hmm. training with your squad and, and others, but sort of more about like do you like threshold work? Do you like strength endurance work? Do you like your long stuff? Do you have a, you have a favourite session that, that stands out for you? Yeah, I like the threshold start, like hard running on the track and, and it makes it more enjoyable because we've got such a big squad that come to track sessions um, that you can re- you can really work hard, give each other some banter, have some fun under the lights at the track and, you know, you get so much out of that hour um, and, yeah, it hurts for a moment of it but it but it's so enjoyable at the same time. Um, so there's certainly a favourite but just getting out like those long aerobic runs, like sometimes you just kind of need to just get out and switch off and like I used to be very kind of disciplined at like keeping my heart rate and checking and then like as I kind of got more into the sport, I just kind of adapted to feel and so a lot of my training and even racing is to feel. And so, like, I knew, say, like, Cairns or even Kona, like, what I wanted to run off the bike, but I also knew what that felt like. Um, and so I don't necessarily check my heart rate as much. It's just everything's mostly to feel um, for me, and I feel like it's kind of helped me understand my body a lot more and, and you know, what's easy, moderate, hard, um, which usually, you know, kind of aligns pretty accurately when the data is kind of uploaded with my heart rate. Yeah, I, do. I definitely think that um, that RPE and, and understanding what, what things feel like is a bit of a, a lost art these days and you definitely yeah. sound like a like just a runner at heart, like both of yeah. those favourite <laughs> sessions, completely different types of sessions, but they were both running running based and you obviously just enjoy being out there on your own two feet. Can you just give us an example of one of those um, track sessions that that you that you love? Those hard sessions at the track with with the squad. Um, can you can you think of any that stand out, or you know, was there a progression Ooh. over the weeks that you can give as an yeah, as an example? <clears throat> well, our coach Nick usually just surprises us when we turn up, um, but we did do like a fair few of eight hundreds, which strangely enough were quite enjoyable, um, but also like kind of progressive intervals so kind of you know starting at your 16 12 8 6 4 um and doing that and usually the recovery is you know anywhere between 45 seconds and a minute so it's like it's hard going but like it's it's good because there's a couple of girls in the group and guys and that were kind of similar pace and some of us might be having a good day or a bad day but like when we get those big kind of tough sessions it's just jumping on the train and seeing how long <laughs> we can hold on to each other for. Um, but, yeah, definitely those l- the longer type of reps, you know, kind of anywhere between 800 to 1,600 reps um, I enjoy. Hopefully he doesn't ever hear this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're going to get a lot more of those. Um, but also I really I like tempo intervals too. So, like, some of my long runs would kind of have, like, a 10-minute tempo 
every you know 30 minutes where it like, kind of allows you to just pick up the pace a little bit and then relax back and pick up the pace because you know stuff like that always happens in races and you know even with my athletes I'm kind of very much like like don't be scared to pick things up because you don't, you don't know what's going to happen in a race where you have to um so they're always fun as well yeah so your tempo intervals thrown into a otherwise steady run and sometimes a yeah. long run or getting on the track and letting it rip basically so yeah so definitely of, definitely favorites. runner at heart like a, yeah. i've learned to love swimming like a luckily like having a, a little group and a good friend of mine like just changed my mentality and kind of she, the best way she explained it was like you guys go to the track and you do all this running and you, you do hard running and easy running but then you all come to the pool and everyone just I feel like everyone just easy swims like dawdles mm. <laughs> she's like why don't you swim hard when you're supposed to swim hard and then swim and I was like oh, I never thought about it that way I was just it's just one thing you like you just got to get through swimming um and so I think once that mentality shifted I was like then you give yourself benchmarks you know what splits you need to hit things like that um I think that's when the progress started because I just thought about swimming the way I think about running <laughs> um so yeah it's funny how it's so simple but it's not until a swimmer says it to you that you go oh okay I, I get it now um, have you got an example of one of those swims that you're referring to and doing those sort of harder intervals in the water yeah, so she like would do would do a warm up like pretty pretty standard nice warm up. I'm not one for drills, so when she was like you know do a 300 swim, 300 pull, and then like six by 50 hard efforts like progressively getting quicker. Um, and then I think our first session when we started it was like 200 meters as hard as you could, and so we're like oh what are we doing that for? But then you have a benchmark and she was like okay I have a time for you 200 so when we do 100 so if we get through you know 2200 2100s like these are the splits that you need to hit and so I think for me that was the first time I went oh shit like <laughs> there's accountability now like mm. when it comes to swimming um so that that was good so like I know one of the sessions we did was yeah 2100s um and she'd always give us a short cycle whether it's a 150 or a two depending you know, on what we kind of were at. But, um, yeah, that was kind of the start of it. And, yeah, she'd always give us 200s and then leading in you'd do like a 1K time trial and then 200s after or 400s. But, yeah, it was always not similar but always, yeah, challenging but came in with purpose, which I think was fun. And that, that was only on a Monday. Um, and then the other Wednesday swim would be with the Ignite, Ignite Squad Um which I think Nick kind of looked at a lot of like drills and, and technique and stuff like that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So we talked about favorite sessions. Do you have a least favorite session oh. other than swimming in general? You're not allowed to say that or not really. Um, you, you talked about already about, you know, enjoying it and being integrated into your lifestyle. So you may not have a, a least favorite session, but it is, does anything come to mind? Oh, what's a session that I dread? Um, well, you sound like you've got to think pretty hard, so maybe. I do, maybe yeah. That. I I didn't kind of like like short hill reps, like it was just up, down, up, down, but don't really do many of those anymore. Um, so on the bike or running? On the bike, yeah. yeah. Anything running I, I will always like. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, yeah, yeah. Funny enough, yeah. A pretty good um, theme. Yeah, no, I don't. Like it, Like I said, like this block, it was really easy to get out the door every day. Um yeah, so I thoroughly enjoyed it, which is, is always a good thing. That's right. That's a that's a good answer. And then final question on the training. Is there anything you would change if you were going to go again or when you go again or your next Ironman <laughs> block? Or you, again, you sound pretty satisfied. You sound like you coped really well. Performance yeah. was good. You're enjoying it. And the race itself went well. So, again, the answer might be, well, no, I'll, I'll leave that up to the coach. But if... Is there anything that stands out when I ask that question? Like, is there anything that you could change, could change or evolve? Um, I think my strength is something I need to evolve or incorporate because I, I know I'm an endurance-based athlete. Like, I can go for go like for ages, but like I need to be faster and I need to be more powerful. And unless I start doing more of that in my training and that and that kind of comes from my end and trying to make those commitments especially like with swimming like 
you know, I can get fitter and stronger, but to get more powerful, like I'm, I'm quite a small framed person and don't have much muscle on my upper body. And so it's, I guess the biggest thing would be really making the strength training um, stay in my training block um, because I think it'll only kind of complement and allow me to work harder in those other elements, especially on the bike if I want to get faster and especially in the pool. Um, that's probably like the only thing, but like that's on me yeah, <laughs> at well, the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. there's um, one place you could start is we spoke to Kate Baldwin, who's a strength and conditioning expert uh, based in yeah. Perth. So I yeah. think it was episode 12, but yeah, yeah, we'll be able to find it and maybe we can send that your way and that could be a oh, good awesome. starting point <laughs> as you as you reset and go into your next block. I think so. Thank there you. There we go. We'll, we'll make you accountable. Um, <laughs> So before we wrap up, I think it would be remiss of me to not ask if you've got any sort of top tips for age groupers. We've already established that you juggle quite a few roles. You're a role model yourself. Um, you're an accomplished athlete. So do you have any tips, uh, whether it's performance related, whether it's around managing training, whether it's you know recovery or just general tips um, for, for other age groupers out there? Could be one, could yeah. be three, could be five, like yeah. anything that comes to mind. Um, I think the biggest one would be like whether you're getting into the sport or aspiring to increase your load or do more is um, if possible, really establish your support network in your village and be transparent with your goals. I think, you know, whether it comes to either relationships or friendships or family relationships, when everyone is aware of what you want to achieve and how you're going to achieve it then people can slot in with how they can support you um and I think that transparency is always really important from the start because I feel like if you get your village on board from the start they feel like they're part of your journey as well and then sometimes it's not like oh they're always out training or why are they doing this or they're always tired um you kind of have that support and understanding from the get-go, which which makes training for the athlete a lot more enjoyable. And I think it's it's definitely amplified like for women, especially mums. Like you we have a tendency to feel really guilty about putting so much time into things like triathlon. Um and so being able to kind of establish those networks from the start is really important. And the second one would be for triathlon groups and triathlon coaches is to where possible and where safe to normalize having children around. Like I could not believe, and, and it's only because there's no small children in the group, but that I was the first and the only athlete that was bringing my child to squad trainings and everyone loves him. He's like a little mascot, like, you know, everyone's all excited for my son to come to training. And so I think the more we can normalize that, the more women especially mothers aren't scared to get into triathlon but also women that are in triathlon aren't thinking that they have to sacrifice doing what they love to then have children or start families like we can we can do both if those networks and those communities are, are open to it um so that's probably like one thing that yeah ignite does really well up here in Cairns with with welcoming kind of me and my son and, and normalizing that participation from the get-go great tips I, I like both of those um in my own way but yeah definitely like the involvement of the the kids that's something something a little bit different um so i think you know the whole conversation sort of got tips and tricks all the way <laughs> through it but particularly around creating purpose and structure and accountability in your swimming which is sort of your weak sport and least favorite sport but then you know talking about good communication with your support network and then um also yeah, involving the other people in your life along the journey so it doesn't become a an isolated uh, pursuit. So, yeah, good yeah. tips all around. So <laughs> final question, what what's what's the plan for you um, for the rest, well, rest of 2023, not long left, but into 2024? Yeah, so I am, my um, partner's doing Basso Ironman, so I'm going to head over there and be on support duties and, yeah, everyone kind of thinks I'm going to sneak a bike over, so I'm not sure yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Um, but, yeah, I guess the calendar for next year is 
probably like a few more 70.3s. I kind of have only done two of those. Um, so if I can sharpen up a little bit, I'll probably look to do Tassie, Hell of the West and Port Mac. Um, and then obviously Cairns Ironman again, just because crazy not to having it in your backyard. Yeah, it's um, a good event. Yeah, what, it's if fantastic. You, will you qual- if you qualify for Taupo, will you take that slot, 70.3 world champs? Most definitely. So I kind of, <laughs> Yeah, I kind of penciled in Tassie as an opportunity for that and Port Mac. So, yeah, we'll see see how those go. Like I've got a, a few really big opportunities coming up in the next three months, um, which I think will kind of, yeah, benefit me as an athlete next year, which is really exciting. So definitely penciling in some races and really keen to just have some downtime and then, you know, get going again, um, hopefully in the new year, end of this year. But um happening great well that sounds good um i'm going to say thank you for coming on and sharing with us congratulations and well done on everything you've achieved so far i'm sure you've inspired many triathletes out there including women and members of the indigenous community so looking forward to seeing what's next thank you so much and thank you for having me on no worries thank you Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach, and fan of the sport, I've always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story. We will speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.